continuing on with this Advent series, this, this series that's built around just preparing our hearts to embrace the Christmas moment. And we get to hear from someone who's become a real friend of our church. Uh, many of you have heard Jeff Louis before, not everyone I know. Jeff is an associate press professor of theology at Western Seminary in Los Gatos. But really, when I first met Jeff, he was pastoring here in San Francisco <clears throat> at, a, at a church on the west side of the city. And so he kind of has this unique blend of a pastoral and same time professorial approach. It has a depth to it, and yet it's practical as well. And so um, we're gonna, in a moment, we're going to welcome him up. I want to go ahead and pray, though, pray a blessing over our time here. And just again, Lord, we thank you. You know, this, uh, this December, uh, we're moving right into it. It's a crisp, sunny day, and um, we're so grateful to be alive. I just, you know, just want to pray that we would begin to start preparing our hearts to embrace the beauty of this season, because it really does invite us to come and wonder and to open up our heart and to think deep thoughts around what your coming means. At the same time, Lord, the timing of it at the end of our year also invites us to think about how we're ending and what it means to have new beginning. All of these things are represented in you. And so we just we welcome your grace and your mercy and your, and your word and love for us over our time. And we ask for your blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, God. Can we give Jeff a nice warm welcome? Come on up, Jeff. Give Terry an extra hug. I just love being here. I just love sitting and, and singing and, and uh, greeting old friends and uh, meeting new friends as well. I love the, the laughter. I, I always love laughter, and I love the skit, you know. It's just a wonderful, wonderful, you know, if you didn't know me, I always share things about me. I'm, I'm one of the few people who own every episode of The Three Stooges, uh, uh, and I watch it uh, just to, uh, they are comic geniuses. Um, uh, my only sadness is they are not alive to participate in the uh, cornerstone uh, dramas uh, this coming uh, Christmas time. I always share about my life, uh, I spend a few minutes, and uh, this Christmas is very, very special to me. I think of all the Christmases I've been around for a long time. I won't even tell you my age anymore. Uh, but this one is very special because, uh, um, I don't know if you know, I, I've been ill for, for a very long time uh, with an illness that is like lupus, um, autoimmune that attacks uh, various parts of, of, of your body, um, rheumatoid arthritis, uh, hand pains. And the Lord has been so fit to uh, give me remission. That kind of started uh, the last time I was at Cornerstone in, in August, and uh, it has continued uh, until this day, so we give praise. And, and so if you have anyone who is ill, um, you can have them uh, come and seek the Lord in prayer. I'm sure plenty of people in Cornerstone will, will, will pray for, for anyone who is, who is ill and in infirmity. Well, with that, and with the joy that I have and the excitement of what is going to occur in 213, um, I decided to, to that I would have a total makeover of myself. Now, if you notice, I am uh, I'm thinner. I am 15 pounds thinner in three months because I live a block and a half from 24-hour fitness. And with my renewed energy, I could now uh, do more than just walking on a treadmill um, at the three, uh, 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 you know, level. And I did. I could. I could do weights, you know, um, and things like that. And so I feel. I feel really good. I feel really good. I actually have. I didn't share this with the Saturday service. <clears throat> I have a. I have a, 
a, a friendly wager with some, with some of my nephews in the East Coast uh, to see who could come up with six-pack abs uh, by summertime. <laughs> and I'm, uh, I just want to tell you, uh, I might be 30 years older than my nephews, but I'm in the running, you know? Uh, uh, with that comes uh, facial hair. <laughs> what look is, uh, is not complete when you need a more, more a totally aggressive look? Uh, I did some uh, uh, Google research about the, the type of uh, facial hair that women desire. <laughs> And uh, it is actually, actually the what, 70% of women find the stubble look attractive. And I said, you know, you're an Asian man, 56, you know, you need everything that helps, you know? Uh, uh, so there you have uh, this look here, you know, and it's like, you know, yeah, I just, just feel better, you know? <laughs> then I have a new wardrobe. I don't know if you, you notice. I always do it on a budget, you know? And uh, <clears throat> what's new for me is not the, it's the shirt, you know. Uh, about two weeks ago, my wife and I went to the Gap. Uh, and uh, you know, I have all these uh, Christmas sales, you know, basically giving this stuff away, okay. So we went to this place uh, and they had, I said, oh, look at these shirts, they're really nice, you know. Um, and they were a 30% off. Lo and behold, my wife had a 40% coupon on top of the 30%. Lo and behold, we didn't realize that if you buy something on the Gap on Tuesday, they throw in another 10%. This is $5. <laughs> you see, it's like, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just wonderful. It's, it's, it's not only good to look sharp, but to have your dollar stretch, it's like it's, it's a bonus, added bonus from, it's a blessing from God, okay? Uh, and so it's so good, I was telling people, it's not the same one I wore yesterday. I bought three of them, it's $15, you know? I, I, could, I could do I, different colors. But to complete the look, to complete the look, um, there are uh, a few uh, eyeglass uh, uh, websites uh, that are offering free glasses if you pay for the shipping. Uh, it's very interesting. I won't tell you, you know, because I'm not a, I'm not a shill for their company, you know. Uh, um, but I decided I would do it, and I I I I, I got the glasses about uh, two weeks ago, and it's firm in China, and. Um, <clears throat> I decide, I have, I have uh, what he calls a sun sensitivity, light sensitivity. Even these bright lights uh, uh, are very distracting to me. So I decided I would, uh, the geek look is, is so passe. It was so 2011, you know, <laughs> that uh, <clears throat> I would uh, spring for this new look that I actually wear all the time now. I, I love speaking at Cornerstone because if I spoke did this at any church, they said, we made a mistake inviting this person to speak to us. Because you know what? A lot of churches you go to, they, you, you, here's the deal. You go and you have to pretend you're someone else. What I really love about Cornerstone, I don't have to pretend who I am. I feel very comfortable proclaiming Christ because I don't have to pretend who I am. You don't know how important that is for me and for you because in some degree of our faith in Christ, it is not a degree of pretending of who you are. I think that's a real problem with Christianity. We are who we are with all the unusual quirks we have in our lives and all the unusual, but it's, it's, it's not how wonderful I am and that we all look the part. But as we have such a great God and a great Savior, 
And that's what I really enjoy about here, you know? And so, you know, whatever the look I have for 2013, you just have to, you know, be aware that it's coming, you know? <laughs> uh, basically, I feel much more aggressive, much more <laughs> tough, tough. Oh, I was, I'm thinking, you know, when, when, when Jackie Chan has uh, his next movie, I, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna try out for the triad evil part, you know, and maybe I'll, I'll get a, a bit roll on that, you know, I'm just like. Um. But when Pastor Terry asked me to give a, a message in th uh, December time, I usually uh, speak in the, in the summer uh, uh, months. Uh, I, it's always interesting, you know, what, what do I speak on? because there's so many different uh, possibilities and verses about the Christmas uh, season. And he was telling me about what was happening at Cornerstone, and I said, I think I know what I want to speak on. And I decided that I would choose a passage from the Gospel of Mark, and um, because it is very unusual, he has a very unusual insight about the beginnings of Christ, more unusual than any other writer. And the passage is in your bulletin or in your program, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read a few selective verses so that you get the idea. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. So then they describe the coming of John the Baptist. And you, say, you don't know who he is. He's just basically the forerunner, the one who introduces Jesus. He was prophesied in the Old Testament. Then comes the moment when Jesus is actually introduced in the first chapter of Mark. And it, the introduction is, is found in verse 9. And I'm going to read. It's in your program. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Now what's surprising is that the first sighting of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark is when he's about 30 years old. What is really unusual is like, where's the manger scene? Where's the wise men? Where's Bethlehem? Where is even Joseph and Mary? Where is that? It's not there. Because Mark, and if you, if you, you realize that there are four, what we call literary gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you can tell the purpose of why each one is there, because each one adds a new insight of Jesus, and when you have all four of them, you get, you get everything in like, you know, four dimensions, you know? It's like, whoa, I didn't realize. Each one just emphasizing something different. They all end in the cross and the resurrection. Interesting. They all are different, but they all end up in the same place, you see? But if you understand and read the first chapters of each of these books, you realize that there are different uh, introductions to Jesus. Matthew and Luke are the two that are most historical and want to emphasize the human birth of Jesus. They will have the nativity scene. They will have the manger. They will have Bethlehem. They will have the wise men. The Gospel of John is different because it doesn't emphasize the humanity that of Jesus, which is very true. The Gospel of John in chapter 1 emphasized the eternality, that Jesus is the Son of God from the beginning from eternity, I can't even say beginning, from eternity. 
it is not of just human descent. He is also of divine uh, essence. Now, Mark is the most strange, for Mark doesn't do any of these what Matthew, Luke, and John does. For what Mark does, he begins with how Jesus fulfills a prophecy. You see, and I'm just going to read the first point. is very, very important for you to know because it's from that first point all the other points will come out. That Christ came to usher in a program. It's not just simply the identity of who Jesus is and his person as he's a human, as he God, you know, and then who was his parents. Because that type of uh, emphasis focuses upon the person of Jesus, which is very, very important. And usually the punchline in that sort of message on the nativity is that Jesus comes in a very humble birth and that it's our job to realize that there is a glory behind that humility and humble birth and we worship him as the true king even though he's in a, he's in a barn, okay? Basically, nine out of ten uh, Christmas uh, service, uh, sermons are kind of like that. Unlike... Matthew, Luke, Mark is not focusing upon the person of Jesus and the humility of Jesus. Mark is focusing on the purpose of Jesus and what he will accomplish. It is a very different emphasis. It is Jesus not at the point of his birth, but a telescopic view of what he will accomplish in this world and in his work, what he will do for you and I. And Mark gets right to the point, right to the point. The passage that Mark uses is the famous passage, actually, if, if I could just read it very quickly, from the prophet Isaiah, which he ministered about 500 to 600 years prior to the coming of Jesus. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1 and 2 and 3, I will read, Comfort, O comfort my people, says our God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended, that her iniquity has been removed, that she has received of the Lord's hand double of all her sins. A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Whatever Mark is trying to describe, he is choosing a passage that speaks of the definitive moment when the deliverer of this world comes upon the earth to bring comfort and joy and peace. This was the moment in the eyes of Mark that everyone was waiting for. It is his purpose. And it is very, very uh, interesting that Mark begins this way. I think it's very, very good for oftentimes when we talk about Christmas, we talk about a moment in time rather than the transcendence of time in the ministry of Jesus Christ. One thing you need to refocus or reframe, I love that word reframe, I use it quite a bit these days, is to refrain, reframe your understanding of Christmas from a manger into a mission. A manger into a mission. 
because that is what Jesus is trying to do. Now, exactly what is in this mission and what is in this plan? Well, the, the next half of the Gospel of Mark actually kind of focuses upon what this plan and what this mission is about. In your program, I'm going to read verse 7 and 8. These are the words of John the Baptist, who is sort of the, uh, the, the, the introduction, the one who would uh, speak of Jesus' coming first, prepare the way. And in verse 7 and 8, this is what John the Baptist said. And he was preaching, he being John, and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That is an amazing verse. It's actually kind of hard to understand, actually. What is, what is John talking about? Now, John could have fo focused on many aspects of Jesus of why he is greater than himself. Well, Jesus is mightier than me because uh, he is the Lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world, and, and I can't do that. He doesn't say that, even though he knows that will happen according to John's gospel. He could say, well, just by his, his person being the Son of God, that automatically makes him mightier than I. Or he could focus upon the miracles that Jesus will do. John didn't do that. But what John focuses on is something very unusual that actually catches people off guard. He focuses on that which will occur later on in the ministry of Jesus Christ after he dies on the cross and he sends on high and he, what we call he, bestow, he bestows the Spirit upon those who believe in him. That he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That John himself is not looking at the birth of Jesus or at the ministry of Jesus as a point in time. He is looking at that which Jesus will do that transcends time, that will affect each and every one of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That part of this mission and this program is this ability that we will receive through the receiving of the Spirit. And the Spirit is, is very, much who, very much God. That Jesus Christ will allow the Spirit of God to be upon us, to begin to transform us in the inner person, to empower, to invigorate our existence in Christ. You don't know how important this is. Because oftentimes we, as um, people in church, focus very much at the point of our salvation. Meet Jesus, forgiveness of sins. He dies on the cross for our penalty and for our sorrow. And he makes us new creatures. And we have a reconciliation with God. And these are all very, very true. Very, very true. You do not want to deny these truths. And this is how we, we come into fellowship with God. But what Mark is doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to focus on the transcendent aspect. And you don't realize that our meeting with God is more than just a point of contact, of a salvation that is eternal. Our point with God and his mission for us, if we are to believe in him, is to begin to transform us from the inside out 
in this world and in this time to transform us from the inside out. So often we view as Christianity, and, and people use this phrase, as a life insurance policy. Oh, probably nine, time, nine out of 10 people view uh, Christianity that way. I'm not saying it is not true. It is true. Eternity is true. The resurrection is true. Life abundant is true. But what is also true about the mission that we are involved in, if you follow Jesus Christ, is the ability to be transformed now spiritually in the inner man, which includes both emotionally, both in terms of the healing of the pains and the problems within you, very much an inner transformation, also including the enabling for you to do wonderful things and to proclaim marvelous things with a great sense of peace and a joy rather than the fakish sort of anxiety and what people think Christians should properly dress and properly behave. It is a truly transcendent quality that God can give to you and does give to you and everyone here who believes in Christ potentially can have this, this transcendent joy. You know, sometimes I act very goofy. I think it drove my wife nuts because she was, she was born in Macau. She has a more proper, prim and proper view of Christianity, you know? I don't want to say, she's not in the service, you know? <laughs> but I, uh, you know, I could tell she knows that, you know? See, look at me. I'm the anti-Christian, you know? I'm looking, look, look, look. You hire me as your pastor? No, man. You see me walk on the street, you might walk on the other side, you know? I mean, it's a, it's a strange thing. But the thing is, the power of the proclamation is not upon you. The power of the proclamation is that, you know, God can use whoever you are because the power is in the Spirit of God. And not because you look the part or your past was so wonderful, you know, that you're God's gift to the mankind, you know. It is the spirit of God. And for those who are, you know, wondering about Christianity and seeing it as an option, this is a great, you gotta, I'm telling you some, some, some deep stuff, you know, about what God wants to do with us. Well, we have to continue because there's a few more points. I'm going to read you now verse 9 to verse 13, and it goes like this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, you are my beloved son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the spirit impelled him to go into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. The first thing that Jesus does is his encounter with his Father and with this Holy Spirit during his baptism by John, the one who introduces him. And the second story that is included after this interaction of baptism with the Father and the Spirit this is battle with Satan, which is very telling. For Mark wants us to realize that in this triumph and this definitive moment of God's plan 
to bring deliverance to mankind involves an interaction with the heavenlies and with the heavenly realms. I'll read you this point. Christ came to fulfill the purpose of God and to break the power of the evil one. Very, very important. I wish I had a little bit more time, but I'll go very quickly on this. With all that we are and all that we do, and we are to manifest the grace of Jesus Christ in everything that we are able to do, be it in our homes, be it in our workplace, be it in our community, and all the marvelous things that we can do as Christians, and, and we see all the things that uh, uh, the Cornerstone family is doing. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, we pray that you all get involved in some way to be involved in manifesting grace to people. That is what we are. That is, that is our calling card. But you must realize that the calling card is only that, and that the true message is actually of a spiritual deliverance. And it's this combination of the two, the, able to, the ability to manifest grace to people in all aspects of life, in all avenues of life, Being sure, be it to, 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 to have Christmas gifts to, to people who are very, very uh, needy in a third world country. And that is such a marvelous manifestation of the grace of Christ. But then to realize that this world is more than that, that what makes Christ very, very special is that he conquers in the heavenlies. I, had a, I have a friend who I, I had dinner with recently, and he is not a follower of Jesus, but I, I've known him for a number of years, and, and he was over for the house. And he was, he was asking, he, he suffered quite a bit in life. And I asked him this question. I said, you want a solution to your suffering, and that if there is a, a god or religion who could give you that, you will give it a try. But I said, what happens if you realize that this person you want to follow incorporates so much truth that that is what compels you to believe in him? And I said, what happens if this person incorporates so much truth and you realize it that that itself is that which draws you to him. And there may be no guarantee that your present suffering will be removed. I said, would you believe in that God? And he did not answer. But you see, this is a really important thing that you need to know. There is answered prayer. I myself am an example of God uh, uh, restoring my health. It is not that I deny that. I'm a living example of that. But I realize something greater, that somehow in Christ there is this embodiment of truth and a victory of triumph, that even if I was not healed, the fact of who Jesus is is enough because of what he is and who he is and what he will do. It's a transcendent leap from a belief that is conditionally based to one that is actually, you just realize, a truth. The last passage I'm going to read in Mark, 
is verse 15, 14, 15, 16, 17, and it goes like this. Now, after John had been taken into custody, he gets arrested. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting net, a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. The fourth point, and this is the final one, is that Christ also came to have us become involved in this grand plan and grand mission. It is not that Jesus couldn't have, couldn't have done it himself. He could have. He is the Son of God. He did all these miracles. He will baptize us with the communion and the presence of the Spirit in our lives. But what he does is he calls these men to co-labor with him and to work with him on this grand mission. A few during the time of Jesus, and then when Jesus ascends into heaven, there is this thing that the Apostle Paul teaches that each one of us who believe is gifted by God, prepared for service. We all become many disciples, many apostles. We're not apostles, but we're many servants. We're all involved. You see, this, this is an amazing thing. It's part of the mission, you know? It's not that, oh, well, you know, we see the baby Jesus, you know, and let's bring our gifts, you know, just worship. That's all Jesus wants, worship, you worship. Jesus loves worship, okay? But what Jesus also wants is a worship that realizes that we are part of the whole mission and a worship that grows and develops into participation. It is not passive. What gives Jesus the most joy is the recognition of who he is, but also a realization that he is so wonderful and he has empowered us that we can do nothing else but to live and to be transformed by him in all different aspects of life. To reframe your life in the mission of God, not simply to see your life framed in the manger. From the manger, which is great beginning, to the mission of God, Culture naturally sees the manger. Culture during Christmas time does not focus on the mission of what Jesus will do 30 years from his birth. For me, it is a time of rebirth for me. I'm 56. I will be 57 next year. Though I want to look really good, you know? and be the best grandfather, the most handsome grandfather <laughs> that my grandson and future granddaughter will, can ever see. But I begin to begin to reframe my life because by nature, we all look at life based upon ourselves. I think what was very, very important for the, for the past years is to begin to reframe my life, not in from a, from a me position, 
but from a Christ position. Rather than what can he do for me, is what can I do for him to participate. So I don't know what occurs. My health is, is seemingly given back to me. So I'm in discussion with some of my former and current students. And I do not know to, to, to church plant in the peninsula area. He said, why are you doing that? You should be retiring. You have an excuse. You have an autoimmune disorder. You are absolutely right. But my life is not about myself at this moment of time. Not that I don't try to be a good husband or a good grandfather, but ultimately, as I grow in Christ, I have, must see my life being reframed, reframed in the purpose of, of God. And there is no retirement for me. I don't do this with anguish. I do this with great joy because I know a greater truth. For you, and, and you're not in you know, the church planting because you, you know, you're just gifted differently. Your, your life is different. But each and every one of you, your lives can be reframed in Christ and the mission. You see, what Jesus did with the apostles, he sees them as fishermen, and then he says, well, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And this is an unusual tie to that which makes you unique in your past. I will use it to make it unique in the future and for the ministry of, 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 of my kingdom. And to be able to be used in that aspect. And one of the marvelous things about Cornerstone is it gives you, they, they provide various uh, introductory uh, ministries for you to be involved in so that you can begin to encounter what this looks like. But I know Terry's heart. It is just the beginning of what you can do for the Lord Jesus Christ in a wider perspective. So this was an odd Christmas message. There was no manger, no wise men. But it wasn't really about the manger for me. It was about the mission that I wanted to talk to you about. And that through the grace and the transforming power of the Spirit, we can all be partakers of that mission. Allow me to pray for you, but that will not be the end of the service. There will be the receiving of offering and a final song. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, in you and you alone we give glory. And grace upon grace, not upon or by ourselves, but by the grand mercy that you have given to us. A mercy that allows us to be who we are, not because we are wonderful people and have it all together, we are all quirky, but the magnificence of your ability to redeem and to restore and to empower that is what I give thanks for. And I pray for these, my friends, people I love at Cornerstone, that more and more you have them see what the grand plan for us is in this world, that we may work with you and have that honor and have that joy. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.